Welcome to the Growing Together podcast, a show for inspiring conversation and practical steps to help your church become the church where all generations thrive. I'm your host, Justin Koo, and today my guest is Benjamin Lundquist. He's a director for Young Adult Ministries at the Oregon Conference of Seventh-day Adventists and the host of the Rise and Lead podcast. Ben is an international speaker and Patterson Life Plan Facilitator based in Portland, Oregon. So when we talk about fueling warm community, uh, this is not always, like there are some nuances when it comes to young people um, that I think are really important. And one of the things that they bring up in, in Growing Young, and you hear people like Jake Mulder talking a lot about, is authenticity. Um, and I think that that's a word that we think we know what it means. Uh, but when it comes to working with young people, what is authenticity and you know how do you how do you incorporate that into leadership and how do you lead in a way that's attractive to you know other to young people yeah i think that's a really good question i've heard somebody a few people say in the last couple years especially with the just explosion of social media and content sharing that authenticity is currency meaning that we have so much of life that is filtered beyond belief that you really don't (laughs) know what's real and what's not real um, that when you can provide an experience in a community that's that's authentic, it is such a draw because people are craving a community that's real. And so for me, when I think about when I think about authenticity, I think it's multi-layered, but I, I think it's it's sharing your story in a way that gives people hope for their story. And so being authentic is sharing enough of your story. And I'll say this, being authentic does not mean that you emotionally vomit everything in your life. (laughs) I mean, being authentic doesn't mean there's there's a time and a place, depending on what you're sharing, that it's going to be received by the right community. But it doesn't mean you jump on a stage and say, here's every sin I've committed in my life. That really has the effect. That probably has the chance of being. (laughs) It can be much more damaging. So. But I think being authentic lets people know that, um, yeah, I'm on a real journey and I have good days and I've got bad days. So, so how do we walk that line? How do we do authenticity well versus like totally just so good. mess things up? <laughs> okay, I'm just going to talk I'll, about when you've messed it up. This for is us. So good. Let me I'll share this and then I'll, I'll yeah, what I'll share is that when we think about community, when you look at the life of Jesus, the life of Jesus is a model of a multi-layered community. So when when people think about community, I think we often think of who do I know, who do I my who are my friends. Think about this: Jesus had four levels of community. His first level of community would be the crowd. He fed the crowd, he healed the crowd, he interacted with the crowd, and then his second layer would be his uh, traveling companions. That would be the disciples that he did three years of life with, eating and ministry. So you got the crowd, you have your traveling companions, and then Jesus had his confidants, uh, Peter, James, and John. He had that intimate inner circle um, that he you know, prayed with in the garden and, and he bared his soul to on a different level. And then he had that, that most intimate connection with his father. So you've got the crowd, companions, confidants, and then you have that, I don't have a good C word for it, but then you've, but you've got that like real intimate relationship, you know, with the father. So I think when you look at how do you engage authentically, you got to ask yourself, what level of community am I engaging with? Mm. And what level of community am I speaking with? 
you're not going to talk to the crowd the way you're going to talk to your confidants hmm. because there's a different level of trust that has been built up and safety within that level of community. So, you know, I think authenticity is being real when you mess up and it's taking ownership. It's yep. not making excuses. Uh, when you mess up as a leader, it's not coming in front of your team and saying, hey, if, if all of you would have stepped up, this wouldn't have happened. <laughs> Even if that may have been the case, if you're the leader, you take responsibility mm -hmm. for what happened. So leaders don't cast blame on other people. And leaders also share their journey in an intentional way that gives people hope about their own journey. And I remember for many years, spiritually, I just felt like I was never going to be at the level where somebody else was at. I had a, a conference president share one time at a worship when I was a little bit younger. He said, I read the book of Proverbs every single day. And I thought, that's what I've got to do. Like, if, if, like if, I, if I'm, you know, I'm going to be, you know, spiritually uh, rolling and fruitful. So I tried that the next day and I read the whole book of Proverbs. The next day was half. The next day was a quarter. And then it was a chapter. Oh, uh, but so I think funny. you just got to always think about when you build warm community, the way you tell your story is either going to discourage other people about their own stories or it's going to give them hope about their own story. So for me, authenticity is sharing your journey in a real way that gives people hope. It's funny that you say that when you're talking about your conference president, because I see your stories of you working out in the park <laughs> at, before sunrise and you're just doing all these amazing things. I'm like, man, like this guy's killing yeah. it. I'm still in bed. Like, what am I doing? My life? I got to get up, rise up and grind. Let's go. But, but it is inspirational when I, when I see it because I see the consistency of it. It's not just you posturing for one thing or the other, but it's, I get mm. to see the way that you truly live your life. And, and it's a beautiful thing and it's, and it's very aspirational. You know, authenticity isn't just just uh, telling details about your life either. Sometimes it's the ability to say, I don't know, mm. right? That the authentic truth instead of, the, and this is in sharp opposition to because I said so. Uh, because I said so tends to be the model that like generations before us, like it was normal to accept. And, and I think for at least me personally and, and for a lot of people around me, because I said so is not enough. Um, but I don't know is enough sometimes. Like, I don't know, but here's why I choose to do this, you know? And, and that is being authentic. Instead of making up an answer and claiming authority that you don't have, just say, I don't know. You know, I, I think I, that's, <laughs> I mean, Caleb, I, I totally resonate with you. You know, if I were to give a, if I were to give a stat, I'd say that I probably have 30% of my life roughly figured out. And the other 70%, <laughs> I have no clue. I have no clue you know, what's going on. So I, I think you're right. Being able to just say, I don't know how this is going to play out. I don't know where God wants me to be in a year. I don't know what the next level of that, that ministry area may be. So I think you're right. You know, being secure enough in who you are in Christ to say, I don't know yeah. that my worth and value doesn't come because I know everything, yeah. Yeah. but it comes because of who knows me yeah. and whose I am enough where you can say, hey, if I'm being real honest with you, <laughs> I have no clue what I'm, what I'm, what I'm going to do here. And I think this is, ah, oh, this is so good. This is so good that you brought this up. Um, I think we have to remember that today's generation of young leaders, high school students and young adults, they don't just want buy-in, they want build in. Mm. And the difference is they want to help solve problems. Yep. 
and they want to help come together at the table and bring a solution together. So I think when, when a leader can say at a local church um, or somebody running a program, I don't know, it invites the yeah. younger voices in to say, but we know more together, yep. so let's figure this thing out. I think that this really does wonders for, for this type of community because if I'm on the, the leadership team and someone comes up and says, hey, this is the vision, this is what you're going to do, it's kind of, it feels like I'm a placeholder. It feels like mm -hmm. I'm a robot that just does what the leader wants me to do. Mm -hmm. But if someone is honest and is able to say, you know what, I don't, I, don't, I don't know, this is kind of our goal, this is what we're moving towards, how do we get there together, then I feel Feel like I'm a crucial part of the team. It feels like my experience and my perspective actually matters to the big picture. And so I'm more invested in the project. And I think it also does this. It helps me make sense of my life. You're saying when a leader says, I don't know, I only got 30% of my life figured out. It actually really is, speaks to to kind of my my actual experience even today. Yeah. I don't know what the next six months holds for my <laughs> life. And I think the beauty of hearing uh, someone that we look up to say something like that, it's, you know what? If they don't have it all figured out, but they have peace and it's because of their confidence in Christ, they know that even though I don't have the details, I know that God's got my back. It helps me to really lean into these moments and ex uh, exercise faith in God when I don't have all the right answers. I, this, is, this is so big. And I think that for so long, especially in, in the church world, there has been this impression that perfection expands influence. That if I can give the perception to people that I have everything figured out, mm -hmm. I'm going to have more influence in their life. That's not true. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I'm just going to speak from my heart. I don't want to see your trophy case as much as I want to see your failure case. Mm -hmm. I want you to talk about the times when things didn't go well. Because I know that when you're able to talk about it, you're secure enough in who you are that you're willing to open up that part of, of your life to me. And it also gives me the assurance that hey, I've messed up too. And if that person that I respect who's speaking into my life is willing to say, hey, I've also messed up and I don't have things figured out, it gives me hope to keep moving forward in my life. I just will share this. I was on a Zoom call uh, with a gentleman as part of a, a, a Bible camp here in the Oregon Conference last week. And the gentleman who was speaking, his name is uh, Pastor Carl Wilkins. Mm. And he was part of the uh, situation in Rwanda with the genocide in the early 90s. Really intense situation. One thing he mentioned to this group of high school students when you talk about leading with authenticity, I'm going to guess he is somewhere in the spectrum of his 60s. I don't know how old Carl is. I don't know. Um, so, Carl, if you're listening, <laughs> you, you can clarify that. It's like um, I'm 48. <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'm just going to pretty safe guess. But one thing that really stuck out to me, I think it was on a Friday night on the Zoom call, is Carl said, whatever age he's at, you know, just take that in this, into this comment. He said, I see a counselor on a regular basis mm -hmm. because there are things in my life in my 60s that I still need to work through. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, like the, that authenticity was so empowering to me to think this leader who has been through a lot and speaks to the UN, the United Nations on, on fighting genocide around the globe, that he is willing to say with, with authenticity, I still go see a counselor. Yeah. Like I'm still working through stuff in my life. And that was really empowering for me to have somebody share that and just be open and honest. So, so I don't want to. I don't want to get to the end of this episode without covering. What are some of the ways that 
warm community can happen. So you talked about building with, especially, and I want to lock onto that a little bit because, you know, we get into these theoretical conversations, these great ideas and everything, but the local church leader that's listening to this, figuring out how do I fuel warm community? How do I do not just buy in, but build in with young adults, especially if they don't already have them? Uh, what are some examples? Yeah, that that's another loaded question. So thank, thank you, Caleb, for that. <laughs> I would expect nothing. Our last less. questions are always. I would these expect ones. nothing less from Justin or Caleb, <laughs> who are interview professionals. When you look at the growing young research that came out, the number one descriptive phrase used for warm community is "My church feels like a family." Mm. So when you think about how do you build warm community, I would ask the question, how would your church feel like a family? Well, if you were going to feel like a family, people would do real life together, not just on Sabbath, but they would do life together, period. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You would have people showing up at each other's athletic events and graduations. You would have people filling out recommendation forms to help people get jobs. You would have that college student coming out of uh, getting done with graduation, coming back home, and having businessmen and women in the church leveraging their influence to get that college student in their yes. first career. Wow. So I think if, if your church is going to feel like a family, how would it feel like a family? You know, people are doing life together. They are advocating for each other. Everybody has a voice. They're problem solving together. They're sharing this narrative and this story together. There's mutual respect, you know, for one another within a family. Like when you're part of a family, there's no hierarchy. There may be a higher there may be a difference in responsibility areas, but in a family nobody is above anybody else. The pastor is of equal calling to that 10-year-old who comes into the church lobby because they're all part of God's family and part of this church family. So that that would be my question to wrestle over um, when you think about a healthy empowering family. How would that family, how would that uh, family translate to a local church community? And again, I think they would do life together. And I think they would um, solve problems together. They would listen to stories together. They would journey long term together. And they would be part of this experience together. And I, I just would challenge anybody who's listening who has influence in a local church. There are times when we think our church is warm. Or we may think our family is warm, but you don't really know how warm your family is until you ask the outsider who is entering your family. Mm. It's all about perception is reality. So you may perceive that your family is warm, but it may do well to pull the demographic together that you're trying to reach and just ask them, we want this place to feel like the most empowering family possible. How do you perceive this church family? And how do we go about making it feel more like a family to you? Yeah, I know. I know what's really drawn me in is um, participating together in existing programs, especially service. Um, when when I have my pastor reach out or someone reach out and say, "Hey, we're going to go pack food boxes for uh, you know hungry people. Do you want to come?" Yes, I do. I'll even move things around so that I can. Um, you know, if you at the beginning of the pandemic, hey, we're going to get together and we're going to make masks for hospital workers. Yes, I would like to be there. Like even if it's only three people being invited alongside uh, uh, a group of church members to do something I believe in, 
um, is not just a, a, a nice thing to do, but it's a witness of the type of people they are mm. and, and what they want and what they're about. And being able to work alongside them allows us a bonding experience side by side to do something together and create relationship. I think that this is an important perspective shift because I think most local churches think about the ministry that they do together. It's oftentimes ministry that they do together for the body itself already. Like we're going to participate together in our worship team. Who does the worship team serve? Well, it serves us already. If you're part of the potluck team, who does the potluck team serve? It serves us already. Having a shared goal, having a shared mission that's outside of the church is one of the most unifying things mm -hmm. possible. Knowing that we are working together mm -hmm. towards something, not just kind of inward facing the entire time, changes our relationship to each other because now we depend on each other. Yeah, I, I think that's huge. Um, and I would, I would echo just in agreement with what you said, Caleb, that when you serve together, you bond as a family. Yep. I mean, you do. And I think there, I think that is one of the best ways to build the culture of your church is to serve alongside each other. And here's the thing: it serving the serving with serving the community with significance, meeting real needs of the community. It is not generationally independent. What I mean by that is. It doesn't matter if you're a 70-year-old season leader or an 80-year-old season leader or you're a 12-year-old, you want to make a difference in your community. Mm -hmm. So we can both paint that side of the house and we can yeah. both we can both <laughs> fill those food boxes and we can both drop off and deliver those uh, food boxes to needy families during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But I think you're right and, and it may come down to um, that, that mission of we are here to make a difference that really bonds people together. You know, I've heard some families say some of our greatest memories were doing mission projects together as a family. Yep. When we went to uh, this country or we went to, you know, Appalachia on the East Coast and we served, we'll never forget those experiences that bonded us together when we were serving. Yep.